0: Welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Danny Seals and Tim Brynd about design thinking. This is a topic requested by listener Catherine de la Poa. But before we get into it, if you enjoy this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Danny, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, David. It feels like, um, is it three times a charm? So this (laughs) is the second time down, so
0: yeah. (laughs) It is second time down. And welcome for the first time, Tim. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Um, Yeah, first time, go easy on me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now to to start us off and for clarity, uh, perhaps Danny, uh, could you explain to us what design thinking is and how (laughs) it applies to L&D?
1: Yes. So what a great question to start off on. Um, So design thinking. So I think the first thing to call out is we should be saying design as a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. That's how we should be looking at design. It it isn't design thinking. So best way to try and describe what this is. So imagine if I was building a house. Um, So within that house, you've got some core elements, right? You've got the the frame of the house. You've got the bricks, the plumbing, the electrics. And you've got the people who who are connecting the electrics up and, and stuff like that. Mm. So, the best way to describe this designer's way of thinking for me is the frame of a house would be human centered design, and the areas of design would be the bricks the waterworks, the power supply so they would be your kind of your service design your experience design your all these different types of design methodologies but like it it's 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 not this one thing it's a collection of things um and I guess for me it isn't it isn't a five-stage process, and mm-hmm. I think what we'll probably hear about throughout this conversation is me saying it's not a five-stage process. Mm. It's not. Um, but design is a way of thinking. In a nutshell, depending on who you who you follow or or you know whatever Google brings up, it's either a five-stage process. It's either kind of um, often it's it's a, it's a process, and then it's a funnel, and then it's something else, and then it's mm-hmm. something else, and often it's really really murky to what it is. But Stripped Right Back, it's a kind of approach what people can use to kind of look at at, at solving big problems. Mm. And that can range from creating products and services. So I, I used it on Vendor, But it's also kind of we, we use it to fix big organisational, big wicked problems.
0: Mm.
1: So I'm not sure that answers. Tim, if you want to add anything on there.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I'd add this. Mine's my not as abstract as yours. I guess I think it's whether we like two things for me: whether we should do something and whether we can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess it's about pressure testing that to work out. Like Danny says, if people want the product, the service, the feature, whatever it is. And I guess L and D have got they they've got the need for that type of scenario, right? Even more as we try and compete with new tech, new ways of working. So I I guess for L and D it should be a way to identify what those challenges are um hearts and minds of users or the cause and effect of a product whatever it is that's going to work um I and mean, you know for us do we use it on every project probably do in some shape or form hmm.
0: um
2: to get us through those obstacles hmm.
0: okay so so we've got design thinking or design as a way of thinking uh, as you mentioned there danny and you throw into the mix um human centered design which i know that you're you're a huge advocate of um so how is human-centered design different and similar to design thinking?
2: So
1: this is where it gets (laughs) juicer. So so for me, so you kind of need to step one step backwards, I guess. Mm. So you have areas of design, right? So you've got service design, experience design, UX, UI. In fact, it probably makes sense for me to say what they are. Mm. So service design focuses on interactions between people, touch points, the backstage and front stage of it, and then they all tie up into the kind of, it's not about tying it all up into one thing, a product. So they, they look at how we can create better services. So service design looks at a bigger picture, right? So then you've got experience design, which looks purely at the user's touch points and interactions of their journey. Mm-hmm. So on the last podcast, what we was on, we talked quite a lot about experience design. Yeah. So that's kind of one layer. So service design is another layer. And then you've got the UX and UI. But for me, this is where this design thinking, it's more, for me, it's more of an approach. And I guess now, depending on which approach you take, it can range, right? It can be five steps. It can be four steps. It can be a collection of principles and loops and, and keys and lists. And, and it just gets murky.
0: Mm.
1: How D school do it is very different to how IBM do it. And how IBM do it is very different to how ideal do it. And, and they've got core elements are all the same. So, actually what what i talk about when i think about kind of human-centered design it's actually the problem what we're designing for and fixing the the problem from the user's point of view the Mm -hmm. human's point of view and if we can keep that human front and center and the job what they are trying to do we'll be able to design better for them Mm. like i don't know if tim can kind of testify to this but you know when it comes to designing anything it's anything but a five stage smooth process you know it's not four days in 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 a room together start to finish it can be but often what you don't get is you never really hear about the eight weeks what have been done before we even get to that stage mm. like you never really hear about the weeks and months of work what we've done before that to get to that and that's human centered design that's actually really understanding your people and really bringing in these elements from service design and these elements from, from experience design and UX. So for me, human-centered design is much broader. Mm. And, and and actually what human-centered design does is it allows you not to get fixated on this five-stage approach or this mm. four-stage approach. Um, so for me, it's less about the approach and more about the job, what needs to be done. yeah, And, and that pulls from that service design and that experience design
0: and i suppose crudely speaking you i mean we're, we're already at the stage where we are um pitting this against a traditional approach to learning and development and um if, if i can if i can crudely perhaps make a comparison that in the past we've been much more topic centric so we uh, we Uh, isolate particular skill sets whether that be about presenting or communicating managing time managing people Um, we then um, turn that into so we've got our topic and then we create our content and then we've got our content looking for people who that might help And, you know, and, you know, so there's quite a lot of hope within that. And of course, these programs are heavy, they're expensive, they are time consuming. Uh, And and quite a lot of that is that because we haven't actually stood in the shoes of the end user, we don't know their challenges, we don't know the unfamiliar situations that they're uh, that they're facing. We don't know the work involved at all. We give them this all encompassing educational experience in the hope that some of it sticks now many of us have been in those training rooms and said if you change one thing <laughs> mm. like if if you make a 5% difference you know because at this stage once we've once we've done our jig once once we've done our dance and the uh, and the, the event's over we are then hoping that that what we've assumed could be the solution will have any resonance at all now when i when i talk about like that compared with what you've just described Danny i mean mine sounds like a hit and hope where yours seems like it's analyzed uh, and then evidence based and then experimented am i anywhere near
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so um th- so I, I guess there's a few things for that so yeah we don't do finger in the air let's have a guess mm. so like my team isn't a learning team so a team which are, which have created that gp strategies isn't a learning team um and we do things such as user manuals today and we, and, and, and i was looking at the user manuals today of my team because we're doing a bit of a refresh on it and i was looking at how many t- how many of us talk about learning in our user manuals and in our team's manual and it's mentioned like once in the in, the, in like a 12 page document mm. but problem solving understanding people, understanding the performance, understanding business is threaded throughout this document. Mm. And I guess Tim, you can probably jump onto this in just a second, I guess, but one of our key principles is data informed design. Mm. So we have like seven principles. So we have like led by compassion, informed by data, experience focused, behaviorally applied, simplification over innovation, enabled by tech, Pareto and a bias to collaboration. They are what we did at no point in our principles there is learning mentioned. Mm. And there's times when we've had to have really difficult conversations with customers to say, right, I'll tell you what, you don't want us to do research. How much does it cost to do your solution? And that's the question what they ask. Mm. Like, you know, how much will it cost to do that? I'm like, five million pounds. like, what, five million pounds? What do you mean? I'm like, you want a finger in the air price to fix mm. a finger in the air problem what you can't identify? Mm. Five million pounds. And it sounds, it's done in tongue in cheek, yeah. But but the idea is is if you think it's if you think it's costly to do research at the start, look at the cost of not doing it at the end when you mm. never hit or fix a business problem. It's it's ten times more expensive. Mm. And Tim, I, I guess you can probably jump on here on that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we have those good conversations, right, with clients, and it sometimes it's well received, sometimes it's not. I mean. Ju- Danny's not joking about the 5 million. He mm. has actually said that. <laughs> but I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess to me, I see, I see design thinking as a, a process as a means to an end. Um, and, and we use it with lots of pit stops along the way um, to get us to the right place. Like Danny says, it might take two weeks. It might take two years. It depends how much iteration, it depends how much, it depends how much the org wants to invest, how big the problem is. Mm. Um, mm. Human-centered design—I see it as a toolkit. Um, it's, it's a state of mind almost. So what, once you begin thinking like that in design sense, you kind of you open up Pandora's box, right? And you need to shape those ideas. Hmm. Um, like Danny says, you, again, you might use experience design, you might use service design, you might use journey mapping, but you're starting to shape what that looks like. Um, and I guess we often. <laughs> I, I guess I, I question as w- how much design thinking is overused. Um, and I think we're seeing the, it lose its impact because of that. I think people, are, they almost bastardise it, right? They misunderstand the approach. Um, it's kind of, it's abused like a Radio 1 playlist, right? Mm. That's, that's kind of what I think design <laughs> thinking's turned into.
0: It's so o- true, Overplayed, that. overexposed.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but <laughs> yeah, everyone looks at it in five years' time and goes, I was listening to it before everybody else was. Um, it, and it and it is, it's exactly that, right? Like oftentimes when you dig into when people say we're doing design thinking, you go, okay, show me what that looks like. Mm. Oh, well, we've got together for two hours in a room. No, that's not design thinking. Mm. That's not. And often design thinking isn't design thinking. So what is it you're actually doing? And it and it sounds quite brash and it sounds quite bold, but it becomes a snake oil, right? People mm. want to sell the term without the understanding. Yeah. And it's an it's an investment to really understand how to do design as a way of thinking or human centered design or whatever you want to wrap it up at, it's an investment. It's an investment in time. It's an investment in understanding. Mm. And people don't want that. They want to piggyback on a label quickly and then jump off when it's when the when the wheels fall off. So yeah. it's a tricky one
0: it's uh it's kind of endemic in uh, in our profession that there's uh, a an, an emerging term is bastardized to to just label existing practice you know we've seen with, with the word experience all of a sudden um you know instructional designers are experienced designers without actually changing what they do uh, and all of the, all of a sudden the term means absolutely nothing and so change can't can't travel throughout our profession because of the misbranding, uh, the misappropriation of uh, of emerging practice that has the potential uh, of transforming what we do, not as a set of activities, but as outcomes. And so that's why, you know, I, I want I want to spend some time nailing this down. Um, you've, you've already said we've, we've talked about what this is from a from a higher level. We've talked about what this isn't. Um, but I'd love to know how how does it work? What what do you do? Uh, and I don't I know that this 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 is probably coming from the, the wrong way. I was gonna, the question is, what do you do when employing design thinking in an L and D context? Now, you probably don't go around trying to apply design thinking in an L and D context. You you're you're probably I'm guessing um, seeking to address real business problems uh, and performance problems in the most appropriate and efficient ways for which design thinking may or may not be part of that toolkit but um for the purposes of this and uh, and uh and and nailing either design thinking design as a way of thinking or human-centered design however wish you want to apply i'd love, love to ask um how does it actually work
1: yeah so this is the golden question right so for me with, with our team we've we go through my design process mm. so and ultimately and i, I think we should, i shared this on episode one mm-hmm. What we did together—not we episode one—but to me, David, it was episode. It's <laughs> <right? laughs> uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> The origin story. Um, so it goes through a couple of key points, right? You've got sense making, mm-hmm. sense checking, and that falls within actually just understanding what is actually going on. Like, mm-hmm. what is a problem now? And and Tim can probably talk about this in a project. What we did recently, where it was a thing of they came to us the saying they've got a learning problem. And then we said, no, you haven't. You've got seven problems over here. Learning isn't even one of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you've got this whole sense making phase, I and mean, then you go through into the next phase, which is the experience, right? And this is kind of way it pulls in experience design and service design. So in there you've got this really big macro picture, like, mm-hmm. and then you've got the micro and nano, which we went through on the last experience. And then you move over into the second phase, the third phase, which is the tech as the enabler. Like tech does not fix your problems. It enables you to fix them. Yeah. And I think often people don't look at that as, as the right way. And so, you know, it's a blend. When I look at our design process, and I think I can, I can share a link to it so you can ever see it, it's like it's, it's iterative, mm. really iterative. And it takes it's a multi-layer design process. So, Tim, I'm not sure if you want to kind of take them through what we did um, with a large consultancy company we work with.
2: Yeah, I guess um, like Danny says, it wasn't a um, we were approached with a learning problem, but we dug into it. And this this is the thing. This is where it gets quite complex, quite quickly. So we we map a lot of what we do out visually. So we're going to use things like systems thinking, um, and that's that's generally down to the size of the problem, size of the org, or how big and complex the problem is in, time, in terms of dynamics or behaviours, or we've got all these kind of reinforcing behaviours which either you know, impact the problem, make it worse or reduce it. But if we map all that out, <clears throat> we get quite quickly to the root of the problem. And again, back to that data decision, That's a lot of people just miss that out. That's not important, right? Yes. Um, that's the whole sense-making piece for us. That's the bit that takes time. Um, mm. We could be stuck in that for, I don't know, up to 16 weeks, depending on how big it is. Um, it sounds really intense and involved, and it is, but it's, it's also just about data. Yeah. Um, it's, it's discovery, it's analysis um and it's for us it's just a way of managing that that data so if we can get it down we can map it out um and then it's not learning right it's so we we we, we present that back to a client um in a really lean format and they get it straight away they're, they're kind of they might like it they might hate it but they get it straight away mm. and i think again where maybe lnd falls over falls over they don't they're not part of that process um and that's probably where they resigned to becoming order takers over, I guess, what we we did with kind of problem solvers rather than order takers. Um, yeah. And I think what's refreshing about Danny's approach is that it allows us to challenge that from day one. We're having those conversations on day one. We don't wait for a two year relationship when we've built up, you know, something long term with the client. Um, you've still got to have those hard conversations, but it comes from the right place
0: and so yeah. so to give us an example then so you, you mentioned there about uh, uh about some work that you've done could you talk to us about that at a level of abstraction what was the problem what was what was kind of your approach uh what went on behind some of those closed doors what who was involved uh, and what was your approach to actually addressing what you then analyzed as the core problems
1: so i'll, I'll probably jump in first so the
0: it came it came to
1: us saying we we the original problem was we need some learning, yeah. usual, right? We need some learning and actually we want to do learning differently and and it came through via experience design at first. That was the thing where it came in at. We want to do something more you know, more experiential. And then so we was like, cool. So our first our first touch point is we do something called design a relationship. And design a relationship ultimately it's that what's and all approach right at the very start. Look, we're going to, for you to fix your problem, we're going to come at you and we're going to ask you, give us keys to the castle. Let us really understand what that problem is and where, you know, who's the stakeholder, who's the SMEs. Yeah. Actually, let us sit down with 300 people of your business and let us ask them what really is, you know, what's, what's getting in their way. Now, usually that's the first hurdle because people don't like looking what's under a bonnet a lot of the time. Yeah. Because it might expose bigger things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: And and it neighbors and like, look, come on board, do it. You know, and, and it wasn't as easy as like saying we're best friends. Like we had to work at that relationship and we use design and relationship to do that. And that can be that's that is design. We get in the mm. room and we map it out. And then we also start reverse engineering. Actually, what is what is performance you want to see? What's a business? What what does that look like now? And what is it you want to see? Then we go into this research stage, which is we did, was it, I think we did, was it eight weeks on this one, Tim? Eight weeks, weren't it? Um, And eight weeks consisted of, obviously, qual and quant insight. So Mm -hmm. that was audience insight, one-to-one interviews, shadowing. We did user journals, we could track people's journals and reflective. We also did lots and lots of data. So we talk about digital breadcrumbs in our team, like Mm -hmm. what is it they're doing? Where are they bouncing across? And all that comes, all that data starts creating a picture for us. Mm. And then we start identifying. So we've, you know, this can be, we've got a research team um, in, in my team. So we'll use them a lot to kind of start looking at actually where's the, where's the trends and patterns, what we are seeing come out here. And we ended up pulling out, I think, was it six, six key core things what came up time and time again, Tim, you can probably share what they were actually.
2: Yeah. So we, we kind of chopped a solution into six different pieces. Um, It was it. There was kind of there was a big comms piece. So again, they they thought there was a learning problem. It wasn't. It was around comms, marketing, engagement. It was almost um, giving people something to stand behind. Mm. They didn't. They lacked that message. I guess that tone of voice, that message. Um, They didn't understand what it was. They were meant to stand behind. Um, So let's sort that out. Let's use marketing comms. Let's sort that piece out. Once we've got that, we can create some content. And it was a really small piece of content because it was about enablement. It was like, this is what you need to know. This is what it means to you in your job. Go out and do it. So mm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 10 hours of e-learning. It wasn't three different videos. It was just bang, watch this, off you go. Um, there were some really nice pieces in there. There was kind of some diagnostics in there. So disc, joining the disconnect between d- two different areas of the business, getting sales to talk to delivery because mm. they did not a- sales can't sell because they don't understand and vice versa, right? So we were just bringing them together in a nice little app. Um, we had some A-B testing just to yeah, kind of get right. to the root cause of platform adoption and some issues around that. Um, and there was one more. Um, yeah.
1: There's that tone, weren't there? So when I think about it, we we asked over like 200 people, what does this product mean to you? And we got 200 different people's opinions. Mm-hmm. So There's like, you you who are selling this product, you don't even know what that product means to you as an organization, to your people. So actually point one is bring that to life. Like what does that product even mean to you as an organization? Um, Going back to Tim's point, the A-B testing, like one of them was like, oh, we've got to have these, these people have got to be certified and stuff like that and all this other stuff. And was like, right, well, how do you know that isn't even happening already? And mm-hmm. and actually people are getting certified in what matters to them not what you say
0: Yeah,
1: and we couldn't track it and we couldn't, they couldn't track it and we couldn't keep tabs on actually how many people were even doing it. So he was like, right, this isn't a learning problem. Your problem is your people can't find a way to track the solution. So we did AB testing and we moved this thing around on various different sites and we could instantly start tracking. Yeah. This is why it's not that people don't, don't want to do it. It's the fact that we couldn't find something. That's it mm. job fixed. Now, if you went to learning, you'd probably get know, twenty pieces of content, all saying the same thing, one way or another. Maybe there's any learning in there, maybe not. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And actually, we didn't need to do any of that. We just moved the square around yeah. on on a,
0: on a page. And and so so you're, you're you know we've we've talked there about some of the stuff that you did, and I think you've insinuated here as well that everything you did was progress was checked as progress towards achieving what they had defined as their outcome or what in those earliest conversations you defined as the, the desired outcome. Is that, is that the case?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where it comes back to reverse engineering, right? Yeah, Reverse engineer backwards, right? This is where your current state are now. What is this state and reverse engineer backwards on performance and business and that, and going back to the design of relationship where we do right at the very start. The first thing we do is we go through all that. We go through identifying actually what is performance and business, not learning, performance and business, what is it? And we reverse and by by doing that right at the very start and identifying that it makes it just frictionless to get get there. Yeah. Like we'll use tools such as Hotjar mm. to, to track user tracking on pages. Actually, where where's heat maps? Where's recordings of X, Y? We'll use stuff like that. We'll use we'll use tools like Miro and Dovetail to do audience insight. Like, doesn't need to be learning. And I'd probably say, and this is bold, right? But I'd probably say out of every 10 learning projects, eight, eight and nine of them aren't learning projects at all, mm. which is bold. <laughs> <Yeah. but. laughs>
0: well, it leads me nicely on to my, last, uh, to my next question. If design thinking really produces a learning problem, then should L&D really be involved? Or how does L&D take it on?
1: hmm right <laughs> so
0: <laughs> remember this is the learning and development podcast it's too yeah. late to say no
1: <laughs> so so tim you you can probably tell your story of your journey into this in just a sec i guess l and d i've been saying probably for what feels like a 100 years now and it's an unpopular opinion right either upskill your people to be problem solvers or remove your l and d team mm. Which is quite savage to say,
0: yeah.
1: But it's not. But as soon as you can start removing that bias of everything being a learning problem, you start to see learn. You start to see problems very, very differently. Yeah. Not you know, it's a hammer and nail, right? If it, the only tool you've got is this. Everything's a nail or whatever. Yeah. Um. And that's why our team, our team is transformation and performance. That's it. There's no, there's no learning in the title. There's no nothing. But I guess Tim, maybe you can talk a little bit about your journey and your transition, maybe.
2: Yeah. Um, sure, yeah. So I guess I, I've been in operations for, what, the last 10 years and moved, moved back to a kind of more design role consulting in, in Danny's team only recently. Um, so I guess I was, I was in the tech and engineering sector. So working with aerospace manufacturing clients. Um, I mean, whilst we were addressing learning needs, it was, it was way further on that performance support scale.
0: Mm.
2: So, you know, not fluffy learning, but, but digital tools, right? So augmented reality um, work instructions or using AR, um, technical manuals or interactive job aids. So stuff that would be used out in the field in those aerospace, manufacturing, engineering environments by guys on the you know out in the field. Um, very specific to meet a task, but it, it definitely talks to performance over learning. Mm. Um, and I guess where we were coming from. So we want we want users to learn, and that might be through training, but we were enabling them to do that whilst on the job. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's probably the f- yeah, the first point of where I'm coming from. But that's, again, very different to where I am now. Um, and that's mainly, again, where I think L&D does fall over. So it, it's jumping into a solution before understanding the problem. Yeah. And the only way we get to do that is, is doing, the, you know, like Danny says, that discovery mode, that sense-making phase. Um, and it sounds simple, but it's, it's probably the one, the singlest, biggest activity we'll do. In that whole process, whether you call it design thinking or human-centered design, but that's mm. that's the integral part. And there's also a big learning curve. It's, you know, if I talk about my journey, it's, it's probably I've always had that hunger, I guess, to learn. Um, and research has been a big part of that learning curve. Mm. So when when we look at human-centered design, there's so many there's so many tools, there's so many methodologies, there's so many disciplines it calls on. Um, you know, psychology, behavioral economics, all all these kinds of things. Um, but we we bake them into our designs, but that takes time to mm. use, to learn, to know. And just, you know, it's overwhelming, just, just the wealth of information and stuff. I guess, how did I manage to do it? I, I started creating playbooks, and that's mm. that's kind of, that's become part of our design system within the team, um, just to visually get, get that down, map it out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just thinking about something, I guess, Danny pointed out to me, he sounds like a wise old man, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's how we kind of, we do so much research on our clients and then mm. we learn from the observation piece, right? But we should also do the same to ourselves, which I thought was, was quite an interesting way, a bit more mm. reflective. Again, it's, it's a new way of looking at how we do things and measure ourselves over time. A bit like practicing what you preach. And mm. I, I'm not sure, I think we probably agree, l doesn't do that too well.
0: No, no, I think, I think you've, got a, you've got a good point there. I mean, one thing I'm picking up from, uh, from what you're saying here is that um, look at the other side of the coin to what you're describing here. If you don't know enough about the problem you're trying to solve, any solution will do. And its solution there is in inverted commas. And I think that's a place that learning and development comes from a lot of the time. As you've just described, there aren't actually a lot of learning needs, but there are a lot of performance needs needs that 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 might come up um, uh, as a result but the more you know about that the more targeted that you can be um, with any intervention that is aimed at progression towards the desired outcome one that has been defined because it has been discussed and debated and challenged and experienced by the people in the room or the people that you are you're learning about the uh the, the work and the challenges that they actually face.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's fun. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uncovering the, the real problems as opposed to the learning problems. Yes. And not, you know, back to that point earlier, not all clients are ready for that. No. Mm. Um, I mean,
1: yeah, I'm, sure, I'm just thinking then, like when I, when I think about actually when it goes through design and, and really understanding and caring about what's going on and talking about actually compassion versus empathy, when, when you break down often what is the problem, you can usually break it down into kind of four Ps, really. It's people process props or place like it's mm. very very rarely learning like yeah. it's usually bad processes but you know but people and, and actually how do we how do we help them do what we need to do and of, often sometimes it is just simply the place in which i'm working in and, and how can we remove the friction and touch points in that it's, it's not mm. and maybe maybe i see it simple because i've I've been through my own journey on on, on doing that, and sometimes you know I, I'm I'm aware that I oversimplify oversimplify things.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's times when we have conversations, is it, Tim? You're like, so what? What? What's that? And 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 that's my learning, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's me learning. Um. But yeah, I think the one thing I would probably say is, in in the time of setting up this team. I've had three large organisations reach out to me and ask me if we can lift and shift my team. Yeah, And they're they're, they're well big organisations. Mm. So what I'll probably say is that it's changing. It's changing a little bit. And I think that the people who are having these conversations with me and want to lift and shift my team mm. are people who are moving from that traditional and the approach to that, actually, let's just fix business problems and, yeah. and get on with
0: our job. Mm. To more predictably and reliably fix Fix problems rather than deliver, in inverted commas, learning solutions. Um, Now, despite the benefits that that you describe, there is some criticism of design thinking, uh, and I've seen plenty from instructional designers because they argue that employees don't know what they need to know or learn. How do you counter that? (sighs) (laughs) So,
1: Right, so I guess my take on this is probably probably quite straightforward to a certain point um, if designers a way of thinking was done right in the first place the re- the result of that would never ever ever be e-learning or instructional design yeah. so with that said I guess instructional designers uh, are pretty lucky right now mm. in fact they're very lucky because if people did design as a way of thinking correctly they would all be out of the job. Hmm. And that sounds quite harsh, but it's true. You will never ever get someone go, this is a business problem. And if they've done the proper research, and really understanding the outcome is never ever, Hey, here's some instructional design. Yeah. Oh, Tim, maybe you've got a more nicer, nicer, <laughs> direct
2: approach. I'm a bit scared of how to tackle that one. <laughs> we, we do hear it though. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think instructional designers don't understand it. I think it's combined with the the abuse of design thinking. I yeah. think it's those two things together that drives that criticism. Um, mm. I'm not sure ever, you'll ever counter that. I don't know if we need to counter it either. I think when you start looking at it from a different place, that's what makes sense. Mm. Um, you can argue about it. As long as you want. If you're only going to look for a learning problem, you're only going to find a learning problem. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think yeah. that, that, that what, from what I'm hearing, that, uh, that, that uh, you're, you're coming at, um, at problems from the, a diametrically opposed position from an instructional designer. You're, you're looking at a problem as in, um, what is it you're experiencing and how can we help? Instructional designers come at it from, we need you to know this. So it's almost as if they don't need to fully understand the unfamiliar situations, the challenges that the people are facing in the context of the work. It's just a case of, we need you to know this, which is, it's got to be the hardest way to do learning and development.
2: It's a a question about, you know, what's the pedagogical use? Do you even hear that anymore? Do you Mm. need to know that? Like If if you understand why an individual makes those psychology-based choices or neuroscience or Mm. whatever it is, if you understand the economics behind that you don't you don't need a piece of e-learning or you don't need something that's written to you know Kirkpatrick's slip one and two it's not it doesn't work like that yeah and it, it just a
1: piece of me dies inside every time i go and leave the thing and say design thinking for instructional design mm. i'm like i just so often i just feel like i need to be taken out back and put down mm. like when i see stuff like that and it's and it's because what they've done is they've jumped on a buzzword and they've gone, right, how can I stay in my comfort zone but look like I'm being really proactive and pr- really progressive in what I'm doing? I'll just lift this term, drop it into my little comfort zone and just pretend I do it. Mm. And, and, and it's, um, it's a shame. It's a shame because if you're in learn air uh, brackets, learning and development, you're meant to have this consistent beginner's mindset. Like yeah. I will, I, if you've got a beginner's mindset, I will give you my absolute all my time and everything. Mm. But these people who are doing instructional design, it's very clear they haven't got that beginner's mindset because mm. they're not always looking at new things and applying new things. They're doing it, but in the comfort of their little safe environment, which there's no there's there's, there's no benefit to be had out of that. Mm.
0: Okay. Um welcome back to uh to the uh, how to win friends and influence people podcast <laughs> <laughs> with Danny Seals. <laughs> and Tim. Um, uh look as we look to uh, to wrap up um uh, you know there there are going to be people listening to this and thinking look, this really resonates. I can feel the tide turning, because not everybody will feel the tide turning. There are plenty of people in organisations who are delivering the expectation um, that that learning and development still looks as well as like school, people are still asking for courses and programmes, but there is a very real and very urgent skills gap that some are very much experiencing and need to tackle and some aren't feeling the urgency and buying LXPs full of content. Um, but there are people who are feeling that that things are changing and what you're saying is really resonating because it affects performance. There's a degree of analysis. There's bringing people with you. And ultimately, it's aimed at working and addressing that challenge. So how can L&D become more skilled or begin their journey um, as far as design thinking or design as a way of thinking or human-centered design is concerned?
1: Um. So I'll jump in, Tim, if you like, first, because I know you've got quite a bit to say on the like this. So I think for me, it's one, challenge yourself. Like, on your next project, like, go and get research. Go and get your qualitative and quantitative insight. Create hypotheses and problem statements. Challenge your hypothesis and acknowledge your own bias to this as well. Like, do that first. You're going to have options where you can map out the journeys, map out the people in there, map out... What that front of front stage experience looks like, but also what that backstage experience looks like. Mm. Um, and yeah, just get in the get in the weeds of things. Like, you know, you've got archetypes and stuff like that. They can be beneficial, they can't. But ultimately, no matter what you do, you can't just follow a tick list of exercises. And and for me, the biggest thing, and I and I say this to my team and, and maybe Tim's probably it too many times you need to do time served. Like you mm. need to do it. You can't just go a tick list of exercise and go job done. It doesn't work that way because you need to be able to know when to turn left and when to turn right. And you need to know when you need to, it's a constant for me, well, because design, design is a way of thinking. It's a constant battle between order and chaos. Mm-hmm. It is. And there's friction at every single touch point, but you've got to get comfortable with that. You've got to get comfortable with not knowing the answer straight away, not knowing a solution, and being able to acknowledge your your bias along the way, like mm. there's times and times again when we've been together, and I've gone with my team, and my team's done it to me as well, right? Like it is that way. You jump into solution. You jump into solution. Does this does this break or, or confirm my hypothesis? If it doesn't, and if it does, both are equally as valuable, right? Mm. If it if it breaks, if it if it like challenges it and says actually your hypothesis is wrong, great. There's value there but just don't jump into that solution. Like, because there's not, there's one thing worse than fixing a problem, than not fixing a problem. is spending loads and loads of money on a problem that doesn't exist.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but Tim, maybe you've got some more.
2: Yeah, I got my my, my top five for um, how N D can become skilled in design thinking, I guess. So don't create solutions, solve problems. Mm-hmm. That's my first. Second, data is your friend. Go off, grow a beard, become a data scientist. <laughs> get excited about creating something, you know, a proper user experience. Um, number three, learn, learn something about behavioral economics or choice psychology or neuroscience and mm. apply it. Apply it next time you create something. Um, number four, try it out on a small project. Just get involved and do it. Um, make the jump. And then number five, use Miro or Mural. Create a board and get involved. It's, mm. it's one of the best things I've done, so yeah timmy's top five <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's wonderful thank you very much guys now uh, now Danny, i know for sure that uh, that you've uh, you've written and published uh, a great deal of your thinking around this so if people wish to follow your work or connect with you perhaps start with you danny uh, how best can they do so
1: um so best thing i've kind of slowed down putting out articles on linkedin at the moment um just because i'm having an ongoing conversation about a book but mm-hmm i do try and give little snippets away in post or so linkedin is the best way for me for sure
0: okay fabulous and uh and you tim how can people uh, uh follow you and connect with you too yeah best place for me is linkedin happy to uh connect fabulous uh and we'll put links to your uh um, to your profiles in the show notes but thank you very much guys all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for being guests on the learning and development podcast thank so,
1: you it's been, thanks, uh, it's been a pleasure yeah
0: As you heard, whether it's design thinking, design as a way of thinking, or human-centred design, approaching problems from the perspective of the user and being informed by data is a way to solve real business problems and track progress towards just that. It's a discipline worth exploring and investing in and employing when change is imperative. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, as Catherine did, you can tweet me at DavidInLearning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes